You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. Hey people, how are you doing? And we are live. My name is Matt Phillips, I'm the creator of RunChatLive.com and this is episode 161 of the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Very very shortly, um, we'll be bringing up special guest Keith Burnett, who's going to be talking to us about neck injury and rehabilitation. Uh, but before that, a huge thanks to our last guest in episode 160, which was recorded as always live last week. It was none other than uh, David Jacko Jackson, former professional rugby player for Nottingham with 316 appearances. Uh, but unfortunately, in 2013, was forced due to traumatic brain injury to retire. And during the hour, Jacko gave us a hugely educational uh, description about how he discovered functional breath work, including nasal breathing, um, can be used in rehabilitation for not just people who have suffered from traumatic brain injury, but also for regular athletic performance. It was a real eye opener. Um, he is he loves the research, but he's not totally the research is the only way to go but he does he's a very educated person and it's a great great hour to check out obviously you can listen to it like all episodes of the sports therapy association podcast you can listen to it on your favorite podcast app if you want to watch the video then you can go to youtube um, and you can find it also on the sports therapy association website page which is the sta.co.uk and don't forget as well if you're a therapist then one of the most common emails we get is, well, what CBD should we be doing? Two free courses, free courses at Jacko's website, probreathwork.com. Um, uh, one of them is a fantastic intro. I've done it myself on foundation of breathing. It's a real, I mean, the episode last week, it was so difficult to get everything we're talking about into an hour. So I really would suggest the seven or eight modules you take at your own time. They're about 10 to 12 minutes long watch it in your own time. Like I said, it's for free and it'll really open your eyes to another angle, another area which you need to know about and um, which could very much help you help your clients and therefore help your business, etc., etc. Um, and also there's another one which he said he's made free because he just said it's such necessary information for people and that is stress and anxiety management, which I think therapists as much as clients or patients will benefit from. So there's two there just sitting there waiting for you. I know you're all very busy, but I would recommend that you definitely go along to probreathwork.com and look for them. And then you may well think this is something I really want to get into. And there's plenty of other information there and other courses um, at your disposal. Um, also check out the Between Breaths podcast. Again, if you like podcasts and you want something new and different to listen to. I mean, there's the content and there's also anyone who listened to last week. And we had a couple of emails in just the guy is such a great speaker. He's so passionate about what he does. Obviously, there's a massive backstory, which makes it even more passionate and emotional. But he's a great educator. OK, it's not black and white. It's try this, do this. Really, really entertaining. Um, a joy to listen to. So I do totally recommend check out the Between Breaths podcast as well. Um, I also uploaded last week's podcast to Run Chat Live podcast as episode 65 uh, because it's a lot of the stuff i mean jacko is a very established ultra runner as well um, as well as like repeated ascender and descender of mountains like snowden and that um, using nasal breathing so very much recommended for runners so if you are a runner or you look after runners work with runners coach therapist whatever then uh, you can also check it out on one chat live podcast on your preferred podcast apps 
Right. There we go. Um, just for people who are new to the podcast, then it is recorded live. Um, we normally go out on a Tuesday at eight o'clock, but if something comes up, whatever reason, then sometimes it goes out on a Wednesday. But you can follow the STA uh, on uh, UK underscore STA across all social media and we will let you know through adverts uh, when it's going to be or just subscribe to youtube and you'll get a notification when a new live video is going to be scheduled and when it's going to come out that's the best way to do it if you do join us live then you can come up and you can ask our guests questions and also your comment can come onto the screen for example sarah jones has joined us hey sarah how you doing sarah says evening multitasking on my run there you go i mean dedication that's sort of that's 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 what we're all about here on sports Live association sarah's out there running somewhere and she's listening to me what a lovely thought um hope you're well sarah and have a good run if it gets if it gets difficult listening to us tonight just switch off and you can listen to that later on but anyway i'll be impressed if you ask questions while you're out running um so yeah definitely it's a great opportunity to network with other therapists across the uk um so yeah there you go if you fancy it if you like what you're listening to come along on a tuesday to the sports therapy association youtube channel and you can join us live right then as far as tonight goes now, episode 161, um, Keith Barn- Burnett is somebody who a lot of you from the STA will be aware of as a mentor for the STA and a rep um, and a longtime member, spoken at Therapy Expo. He's going to be back there again this year and also speaking in the STA theatre. Um, he's been on the show before. And also, I mean, when it came to when I realised my guest was going to be Jacko, it was like, well, Let's get big Keith along because Keith is dedicated to rugby. He's an ex-semi-professional prop. What else would he be? Um, himself. That's not a dig. It's just you're built like a prop. Um, I'm going to regret that so much next time I see him live. Um, and um, and also a very, very established uh, sports therapist, uh, university lecturer as well in sport and exercise therapy. Um, and also a uh, is also currently, I'm not sure how far through is one of the questions I'm going to be asking him, but he's doing a specialist doctorate in neck injury management in rugby players. So when it comes to rugby, we are once again very, very um, lucky to have Keith on the show. And tonight it's going to be all about neck injury and rehabilitation. So without further ado, I shall bring up Keith Burnett. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. Hey Keith, how are you doing? Good afternoon, Mark. You okay? Um, I hope I haven't insulted you by saying you're a natural prop. I mean, that's I, a compliment, isn't it, in your world? Not. I got a question the other day saying, why is it that not many props become sports therapists? And uh, I think it, the running puts them off. So uh, I'd, I'd get that. I'll accept that one. If you haven't, if you listen to the podcast, you don't know who Keith Burnett is. He's just a, just a hunk of a man. He's just a prop. He's just there. Um, are you still playing at all? on the pitch at all now and again? Or No, it hurts too much now. I'm 42. <laughs> I, uh, I, I tried a couple of years back and it took too long to recover. So I called it a day. Fair enough. Now you're just changing other people's lives, which is, which is great, which is good to know. So I'm sorry you couldn't make it last week. It was a shame, but um, you've caught up with the episode, I believe. It was yep. a great episode. Um, we chatted briefly off air about it. Um, but I guess when he found out, I mean, you're somebody who's immersed in rugby, has been for a long, long time. I'm not. I run, a, I run away from people rather than towards people with balls and things. But I guess, I mean, you knew about David Jackson. I talked to you about it. Quite a, quite a bit of a hero in the game, yeah? Yeah. Uh, many years ago, I used to go down to Nottingham quite a lot and see Jacko play. Um, and again, it's one of those where you see a player of that sort of um, quality week in, week out that are putting the body on the line. And it, it was such a, a sort of shock to see the news that he, he he had to retire, forced to retire. And you see, unfortunately, you see a lot of that coming in the news. 
And you just think, well, what is it that's actually causing this um, in terms of that decision when the multiple concussions and you don't hear about regular processes, but when you're doing the research and you're looking at the, the actual person, how it affects them, from my perspective, working rugby, it can completely change a person. And it's it absolutely, uh, let's say, fantastic player he was. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. And it was, it was fascinating when he was talking about the fact that with a surgeon who was kind of pulling his cheekbone back out again, there was no thought at the time of, oh, maybe we should do an MOI or something or mm. check for kind mm. of, it was just right back on the pitch. And who knows, maybe if one of those concussions had been dealt with properly earlier on, because it was about five, he doesn't know how many, mm. and maybe it wouldn't have led to a retirement, like you say. Is that yeah. possible in your knowledge of concussions, if you catch them and... Well, this is the thing. There's a lot of, um, again, the level of rugby that you're working. You work in the community level where there's no one to report it to. The players take contact as as part of their job within rugby. Um, and you just get this process where you're like, we are ad- advantaging, or advancing, advancing, should I say, in the area of um, concussion and the different processes. But it comes down to the education level of the players. And obviously the RFU have brought the head case in. The players can do it. Parents can do it and, and so forth. But sometimes with the likes of Jacko and, and some players, it's a little too late. We're, we're advancing, um, but not as quickly as we want to. So so one of the things that Jacko kind of mentioned, you know, he was, he was obviously very frustrated. It was a traumatic, horrible, dark place for him at the time. But it kind of added to it the fact that he was just told to go home and relax and take it easy and not do much. And off his own back, because he was just going a bit crazy, he, he looked into things and found various details and studies on this breath work and how you can help the brain recover after trauma by directly affecting the medulla respiratory center and that sort of thing. And it was like, one of his things is why is nobody tell me this? Why did I have to find out myself? And we chatted a bit about this and tonight talking about neck injury and prevention. Have you found in your history that there's a similar kind of void and it's like, why isn't everybody knowing and doing this? Well, the the whole advent of why I went down the neck injury process is as a player um, I got a neck injury that put me out of the game for quite a while it was more of a physical injury um, in terms of musculature and and some um, ligamentous damage and the aspect on there was well not the therapist I was working with knew how to deal with the necks and my I don't know whether it's a sort of um, mindset towards well if you work in a contact sport sure it should be your education so something happened where a player broke their neck while I was a therapist and it was an opposition's um, opposition's team that it happened to. And their therapist basically managed it pitch side with me. So we worked together, dealt with the management. We've done that through our training. So either through um, your trauma or pre-hospital care, you're taught how to manage an acute neck injury as it occurs we go through different processes and assess this using either the canadian c-spine or the nexus um, process and you make that decision whether that person needs to go on for um, scanning and go to hospital or whether they need removing or they can play on again so there's a lot of education in terms of that person should be set to a certain level of pre-hospital care for the pitch side And the RFU have done that really well. The RFL have used the RFU's um, processes and other sports have bought into that sort of aspect. But when that person then went off to hospital, they had to go away in in an air ambulance because of the the severity. I sat down with a therapist and said, okay, so when you get this person back, what's your thought about getting them rehabbed? And they just turned around to me. They was like, well, I don't really know. It wasn't covered in my education. And this was a graduate university. So 
my mindset then when on doing my doctor uh, sorry doing my um master's degree because my own neck injury i was interested in necks but it was only like well what's the most common neck injury so i'm going to be more aware of what i need to be looking at and what's really how am i going to treat this but the idea was well how do i return this person back to play and the therapist i was working with was oblivious so i thought is this an isolated case so i then went off and did some research um on neck training because people's like well a good preventative measure is to train your neck so I did some research and I managed to go out to a thousand players across all the continuum of rugby. Um, and it worked out only 20% of people who play rugby, male, female across, do neck training. So I was like, well, actually, is there an education issue? So what I've then done as part of my doctorate is said, well, actually, the inquiry, what is the specific neck um, protocols for, for um, rehabilitation? So anybody on here could then go, well, actually, from my acute stage, the person's gone into hospital, they've been cleared, they're coming now, either a cervical sprain of um, of the ligaments, a strain of the musculature, disc herniation, or so forth. Well, what is the rehab process? So I contacted colleagues in different universities and I said, do you teach neck-orientated rehabilitation? And a lot of the time it was like, no, that's an advanced aspect, so you may find it in the master's degree. Okay, so then I started inquiring and so forth, and it wasn't there. So what I then asked is, well, what area of within your anatomy and, and, and um, examination assessment and rehabilitation would you have within your recommended textbooks, for instance? So I can have a look. So I got a couple of textbooks, had a look, and it was very basic and generic. And I was like, well, actually, there's something really missing here because my mindset is, as a graduate, if I'm working pitch side in a contact sport, I should then have the knowledge of across the whole continuum of prevention, screening, as it occurs, management, advice and guidance, rehabilitation, all the way to return to play, sign them back off again. If not, I'm missing a part of my puzzle of being able to do it. And there's two ways you look at that is, well, actually, do I need upskilling or do we all need upskilling or worst case scenario, does our profession need removing? Because, well, if you go to the premiership level, they're all astute to working at that and the, the, the on a regular basis will return players that have had catastrophic neck injuries to, to life or neurological problems back to playing again, fractures back to playing again post-surgery. So it's really a case of that inquiry came about where it wasn't available in the recommended aspects I've been told. So someone knows about it, but why don't we know about it? So that was the inquiry from sort of multiple levels of investigation. And where I am at the minute now is actually looking for the empirical data and comparing it to practice across all of the. Um, so I did reviews of the epidemiology of injuries, everything from a, a, a neck strain, which is very, very common, underreported because players, again, will just continue doing that as a contact sport, all the way through to neurological problems towards career ending injuries so it's like well actually if we've got different categories of injuries we've then got different severities of injuries and how we have to treat them all in different so the the sort of direction of travel now is having a schematic of education to say well actually when you're presented with this what direction of travel either from clinical reasoning and then you've got that process of saying well i've got this and i've got that this is the direction of travel um, speaking to the colleagues over the years in the STA at the different conferences and everything, everyone is so eager to get involved because they're wanting that education and knowledge. Whereas a lot of the time I've been told by academics and so forth, 
if the academic isn't knowledgeable about something, they can't teach you it. So there's the missing link. So the, the, the aim of my doctorate is actually twofold. Is one is to actually explore the right protocols and procedures for neck rehabilitation of all the different injuries. And the second one is then get the education out. And there's twofolds. I've been invited from different universities over the last few years to go out and teach them. So everything I'm developing, I go out and teach. Um, and then I'm looking at creating CPD for the people that are graduated. I haven't got access to that. So then getting bored and then start having an understanding as it's from there. So it was definitely a, a, a sort of exploration, but more from a reflection of my own ability. And I thought I was isolated, that I'm missing something. And it just came about that, actually, this is a missing link. Why do the elite people working in international sport know the aspects and the people that work on the, the lower level of sport haven't got that, that knowledge? Okay, fascinating, amazing. I mean, my, my, my question from that has got to be, have you got a theory as to why, it, why this is the case? It's, again, the process of um, the people that are teaching, are they knowledgeable about that? So the one of the biggest factors I'm developing is teach the teachers. Mm -hmm. So it's like I, I'm only one person, so I can't go around to every university and do everyone's job. And I can't go to every training company. I, it'd be great if I could. There was a great film with um, Michael Keaton called Multiplicity, where mm -hmm. they just made multiples of him and went and did it. Brilliant. But what the idea is, is then that education is to create awareness that they understand that this is a key process um, because it links completely. If you look at head and neck injuries, head and neck injuries, as, as Jacko said, is they're both connected with each other. So if they've got a whiplash, for instance, it has an effect on the dynamics of, of um, neurological pathways, being able to constitute your breathing mechanics. So there is a big process of that. Now, one comment I did have someone, it, it, they turned around and said, it's advanced, meaning it's advanced in your anatomy, it's advanced in your process. Like, well, it's not. It's still part of everything. And then someone turned around and said, well, actually, it's an area that I'm petrified of. And I think that's the crux of it is because, and this is the same as what my supervisor at university said, because it is such an area that can have detrimental effects. If you get it wrong, mm -hmm. you're in problems. But then that's why we get it right. I, I, I see in my clinic a high proportion of neck problems now, which is brilliant because I'm becoming niche. But I'm then saying, well, why aren't other therapists in clinic mm -hmm. having the same? So, yeah, it's it's that sort of review you can see it on very interesting i was wondering i mean that's my assumption that that there is a fear of it because there is that danger of what if i do something wrong am i supposed to oh no i better stop just brushing it off or passing away so that's interesting because i guess it does stand out doesn't it neck and head injuries regard everywhere else in the body is pretty much covered the knowledge yeah. is there the protocols are set it's clear but for some reason yeah i've taken i've taken it personally um within wolverhampton university that i've i've modified a module to make sure that the the sort of processes are in there for mm -hmm. my cohort and what i can then do is pilot to make sure that it's actually doing what it's meant to do before it goes out so lucky the students that are at wolverhampton get vertebral uh, mobilizations but they also get the assessment in detail they get the rehabilitation in detail i've been teaching uh, and um at chichester for the last few years doing a little bit on their master's degree and i've just had staffordshire university contact me as, as well and the, to, but that's master's level. So I think we need to get out the idea that mm. this is advanced because if you look at proportion of people working in sport, they're at graduate level, not master's level. 
maybe the master's level are working in the professional area. That's where they're getting that domain in and so forth. So it may be that we need to then look at the sort of roles and responsibilities of the people in, in, in the, in the daily, daily activities, really. Very interesting. Yes, indeed. Um, I'm wondering whether also it's worth mentioning, we talked to you a while back in one of the early episodes about your beginnings. And I wonder still whether you'd love to grab a few of your former kind of tutors, uh, your younger teenage years and go, Hey, guess what I'm doing. And, but it's very inspiring. We did have a lot of feedback. So just give us a little shout out to, to how you started and some of the things you were told to where you are today. And does it still yeah. feel good? Well, it's funny really, because, um, I was never a sporty person and, I was wanting to be a graphic designer, wanted to draw and, and make CD, co- well, actually, you know, vinyl covers and cassette covers back in those days. Um, and then in Grimsby, where I'm from, they they didn't have graphic design. So the, someone turned around to me and said, oh, go on a work placement or something um, and end up on a work placement in a gym just because it was a sort of second thought. And we was in a PE class. Now, this is PE for compulsory PE we didn't do optional PE back then and I was in the bottom level completely to the point of I never ever had PE kit I always wore seconds and now you talk about the size of me I think my size of my thighs is more more the size of people's waist so I wouldn't have got in most people's shorts so I'm there borrowing kit and I did a a, um did a um a PE session and we did rugby for the first time and Mr Boxall I had a, a fantastic met up with my old PE teacher a couple of years back and as I was running with this ball, someone hit into me, bounced off and broke his wrist. And it was like, <laughs> we found your sport. I was like, fantastic. So they took me down to the local rugby club and I just built up and built up. And my teachers, because we never really had anybody that was um, representative of my school. So they took me in their cars to training. You won't get this nowadays, but they took me to training. And then I got progressed through Grimsby Rugby Club, went on to then county level and then built myself up and went on to do went to college and did sports science um didn't do very well because i didn't really i wasn't really academic didn't do well at gcse's but once i actually got into the field of doing i knew i was a, a doer and then i went on to university to sports science found my feet in conditioning a little bit went into lecturing and again i ended up doing a um, postgraduate qualification in sports science in 2010 and i just got bored i think why am i doing this and I saw some injured people and I went down the direction of travel of conversion and, and did my, my massage and injuries and, and so forth there. And I just wish I could have done that a lot earlier. But when I then met up with my old teachers and they turned around and said, oh, how are you getting on and so forth? And I was like, oh, we didn't think you'd do well for yourself. I thought, oh, fantastic. Now, the nice thing is I work at Wolverhampton University and it's a widening participation university. So I sit in that perfectly because I'm from their background and share exactly the same. My parents didn't care really for what I did. They was like, yeah, go out and play. Um, and then 10 years later, my dad's asking me, what are you actually studying? Well, I finished. I graduated about five years ago, dad. But anyway, and then it's just been proactively going and working into different domains. And the key things that one thing uh, a club asked me quite recently was like, why is somebody of your calibre working in, in community rugby? You should be working at the top. I said, because that's not where my heart is. My mm. heart is making sure that everybody is safe. And they've got accessibility to that quality. Um, and the more, I, the more I develop, the more I want to give. So I, I said to a lot of people, a lot of people in the audience will accept this. As therapists, we're never going to be millionaires. But I'm a millionaire in the heart when I know that somebody can do something and they can get on with quality of life and in the, in the rugby field, they can progress and do whatever they do. 
Um, yeah, so that's really my background in, in terms of that. I've just been, I'm not academic, and it's great, really weird to say that. And my, my supervisor keeps telling me to say, stop saying that, Keith, because you're doing a doctorate. I'm a practitioner, so that's why I don't do a PhD. I'm doing a, a doctorate of professional practice. So I'm a practitioner that's doing a doctorate, and it's just developing through that. And research will come and publication will come. Um, but my main aspect is about developing my skills and knowledge to give other people that one. Very cool. They're very inspirational. Like I say, after the first episode, I think it was back at 16, 17 or something of Sports Therapy Association podcast, we got a lot of emails because it was really inspiring to hear um, how you were put down a little bit at college. You say you didn't do very well at GCSEs. And yet just through passion, getting out there, having confidence, battling demons, saying who in your head saying you can't do this, you shouldn't be doing this, and you're up to doing a doctorate. So no, yeah. very inspiring. It's crazy when we, I've spoken to so many people in the field and, and in general when you talk about this um, imposter syndrome. I suffered from that for many, many times. And something just happened where I started getting quite significant people in my field contacting me directly and asking for my assistance, and it completely disappeared. It was like, actually, that is the accepted perspective because i remember doing my first chat on 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 this and doing my first live presentation um at the at the expo and i think i was looking at myself going why are people here but then last year i had a great photo where i'm on the stage and there's loads of people and it's like people are here to listen to me and again yeah, yeah, yeah. people tonight are here to listen so apologies audience you will find i just talk Oh, no, it's all good, mate. That's really good. And we're really looking forward to seeing you again at Therapy Expo this November 23rd, 24th, I think. I always get them wrong, but I think it's 23rd, 24th. Brilliant. Okay, well, let's get down to the nitty-gritty of it. So we've talked about misunderstanding and, and avoiding information with regards to neck rehab, um, prevention, and then rehabilitation. Maybe it's, I mean, should we start with the idea of prevention? You've mentioned kind of screening. Yeah, it's complicated, but does it have to be? It's complex, maybe. But if it's broken down correctly, is it that complicated? Do people no, have to fear what they do? Not necessarily, because basically, um, a, a lot of the thing nowadays, were, especially with with the England camp, the first thing we had to do was the sports concussion anxiety tool. So we had forty players that we had to go through all of that physically, and and that was time consuming. But we had a couple of people working through that. And there's only one element really on there that talks about neck. And it was like, well, actually, you go left and right passively if you've got any pain on there and dizziness and so forth. So it's talking about your ocular motor and, and different processes. But then I was introduced to the um, the neck disability index, which is a, a um, self-answering questionnaire. It's 10 questions, and it's a Likert scale of zero to five, I believe it is. Um, and Vernon, I think it was 96, did this. And... Um, I got this, I got this um, questionnaire and all I did was type it out into Google Forms and then I just send it out to the players so they can answer it. And what that is, is your baseline, understanding the quality of, of life, basically how neck pain affects that person. So that's a tool that can be used. So if you, if you Google neck disability index NDI, that would also be on there. And all I did was just basically copy the words into a Google Form and then send it out to players. Now I can use that as a baseline. Now the key things you must look at, baselines are, are crucial and you've got to get into the psyche of your coaches to say, I need a couple of hours with the players over a couple of weeks before you then start getting into your season, else it's pointless because you've got nothing to compare against. And what I'll then do is just basically do a neck function test. So I'm looking at range of movement and I'm looking at any biting points in terms of restrictions. 
that would then give me an indication of what's normal for the person. So again, that takes 10 minutes for your, your, um, your processing. You've, they've already gone and done that with your medical. So I send out a medical form, I send out the NDI, and then they've, um, they've all got that. And I just have a big spreadsheet and, and I can calculate it from there. Um, I'm interested then in normal for them. So I want to know, well, actually, why have you got a range deficit? Because what we can then do is educate the player to say, okay, so you've got upper trap dysfunction, you're tight, or you've got... So a great one, actually, from last night's clinic. I had a player, first first time I've ever seen him, he's just signed for the club. And five years ago, um, he was hit by an ambulance. And he's never seen anybody. So when I just screened him, and all I did was do a neck assessment, and he had a bind to the right-hand side and pain. And then I looked at him from the rear, and he just elevated his shoulders. And one of his shoulders, you could see there was a massive bulk on his uh, above his shoulder blade. So you could see there was something there. And I got him to do all his movements. And he's like, yeah, I've got real severe pain in my neck. And that's five years he's had pain. And I'm like, why have you gone this long? Oh, oh, I just thought I never really had anyone to talk to about it. So the first thing we did was say, this is what we need to do over the next two or three weeks. We're looking at this aspect. So you've got someone who lives in pain for five years. And without screening that, I wouldn't have seen that. Mm -hmm. So again, that person is already at risk to go into a contact environment and he could then hurt his neck further because he's all completely tense. So really all you're looking for is the the, um, planes of movement. So you go in flexion, extension, rotation, and and ear to shoulder, lateral flexion. And it gives you that understanding of whether you've got guarding of a muscle problem or you may have a strain or something from there. So that's a basic screen for the neck. Um, and then what you've got is to say, well, what's normal to compare if your player then gets injured coming in from there? So as a preventative measure, screening is a, is a priority. and It takes a couple of minutes. You can even, in theory, educate your players. And, and I've done this before where I've had a squad of 50 people where I give them handouts or they watch a video and then they, they screen each other. So they'll look at, well, what's normal? I suppose it's like your functional movement screen. If you're not trained on that, you can just look at the the, the sort of, Um, guidance on what the scoring is that I don't really like that because I've been doing this for a long time so I know how long to do it but it is a way if you've got or you need to manage it if you've got great global numbers and again from that process it's about buying in from the coach to say I need this time my role is this please give me that sort of time frame Um, and yeah as I say the screening is is prevention now also one you've got to look from your screening even if you've found a dysfunction. Now, what I do, I go a little bit more advanced on that screen and I will look at a strength assessment. So if you look within a lot of the research terms, they always do neck strength using a force um, generation unit or they're using some pulley system. Now, one research we're looking at the minute at the um, University of Wolverhampton is a validation of the reliability of the active force handheld dynamometer in comparison to the gold standard of um, isokinetics aspects on there. So when you're looking at the, the the process, we're trying to say, well, actually, this piece of equipment, which is 250 pound maximum in comparison to 15 grand for a piece that all the universities use, I will do a strength assessment on each direction of travel. So then I've got a base level of what that is. Now, the hardest thing to look at when you're looking at strength assessment in screening is comparative data. So you can look at some of the research and there's comparative data that will give you healthy individual. So you just class them against a healthy individual. Don't compare them against elite level rugby players or or whatever, because they'll never be there. So at least you've got a guide. But what I'm looking for really is dominance 
and weakness. So then I know that if this, if for instance, have got a neurological issue and they haven't got as much strength in one side, that's normal for them. So if this does happen and we, we get a neck injury, I've got something to go against that. And like I said, I, I recommend I'm not, um, I'm not sponsored by Active Force by any means, but it's a device that I carry around with me. I do assessments at all joints that I can do, and it can also do range of movement. So with the device, I just basically strap it on. I get a good quantified range. Now, the reason why I talk about quantified movements, and this is a sort of bugbear of mine, when you look at a lot of education, they will do human eye because they say you've got no equipment. But if you look at your club for £250 and it could do your range of movement and it could do your strength testing, you've got a fantastic piece of kit. Now, when it comes to rehab specifically, you've got a marker where you want to make sure that person can come back to that range. So we're not looking at, oh, yeah, it feels this, it feels that. Yes, you can use a pain scale, numerical rating scale, or visual analog scale, but we want to look at actually strength function. So if you have come across the Oxford... Um, strength scale before where you use um, muscle testing you've got a scale of five that's very subjective to the people that use it and there's a lot of research out there that says actually are you so accurate of doing the same thing over and over and over whereas this device gives you newtons or it gives you kilos so that kilo assessment can also then from your screen be built into a conditioning program for neck training and we can talk about that as we go through there so you'll then know what is your maximum voluntary contraction in an isometric push and then you can work it backwards to how much you want to strength train that that neck and then that's your prevention the biggest thing Matt, what i will say in terms of introducing neck training is you've got to look at the person that you're wanting to introduce neck training to so if that person doesn't train and doesn't go to the gym they're probably not going to buy into that process of that so what happened, the, um, the RFU created something called Activate, and they introduced a neck element on there. And it was just an isometric push where you hold each level for 15 seconds, and it gives some tension through the neck, gives a bit of development. So that's saying, well, let's introduce something. But again, from that screen, again, depends on your audience, depends on what you're trying to introduce. Um, but it's a great process to then give you that sort of either give the information to the conditioning coach if you work in a multidisciplinary team or build this strength training program for that player based on your knowledge and application. Excellent. So some brilliant tips there for people working across the board. And I guess that the equipment you, you're talking about, and we'll put a link in the notes if you recommend it, that's fair enough. That Obviously, it's, it's worth remembering that that's valid form of measuring ROM and, and strength for other joints of the body. It can be used across the board. It's not just going to be yep. for neck. Most definitely, there's loads of research out there that um, there's, there's different there's different um, handheld. You'll see HHDs, handheld dynamometers that are using things for knee um, strength or, or muscular strength around the knee. Um, they'll use hip dynamometry, and so everything from there. So what it's trying to do is saying, let's come away from the rudimentary goniometer mm -hmm. um, and still make it cost affordable because you can use mm -hmm. it against everything, and it's got different applications, different devices. You've got all your um, your norm applications of how to use it against different joints. And I spoke to the guys at, um, at Expo last year and I just said, I'm researching on this. And there was no, there was no, um, oh, that's ours, you need our permission. This was like, please go and do it. Because one thing I want to do is, if you think about someone that works in community sport, £250 isn't a lot of money in comparison that works in premiership sport and they've got 20 grand. So I want to give the graduates and the, the people that work in the lower level stuff an application to be an effective clinician with quantified rehab. 
because if you're working with a coach or somebody that's demanding and saying, where are we with this? And what I usually do is I will send the results from my, from my tablet to the screen or to the coach. And then we can actually quantify where we was three weeks ago to where we are now and where we're mm -hmm. predicting over the next few weeks based on this. And it's a great concept really is. That's very interesting. Cause I mean, I was thinking when you were saying, Oh, I'm just going to ask the coach for a couple of weeks with all the players to do this. The coaches think looking at their watch already and thinking, and that's going to be one of the struggles I've worked with football teams before. And it's, it's a dynamic, which doesn't always work there, especially when you're saying this guy's going to need a little bit longer before they play maybe or something. But I'm I'm thinking it is 250, 260 quid is an investment as long yeah. as you can use some facts and figures. Yeah, on a and that, that's the, yeah, know, that's, that's the reason that's the why point. I use this is because it's not about here's a table of data. It's about a trend of graphs. Graphs are mm -hmm. easy to understand. Here's your here's your data. So this gives me a prediction. If we're here, this is his baseline or her baseline where they started from. They're currently here. I predict now three or four weeks. That gives you a good indication, really, of your return. Now, it's re really interesting. I had a, a player that came to me the other day, and he's had a, a rotator cuff operation. So he's had keyhole surgery, and he's had no been given no exercises or anything. And I, I said to him, I said, okay, so what's the expectation? He went, well, my surgeon said he's signing me off on the 4th of November. I was like, where's that date come from? And there's no quantified measurement. Yeah, yeah, there's no, yeah. So I'm dealing with this with the strength of his shoulder and so forth using this device so he can see it and we can see it. But yeah, there's there's it to give a specific date of return is the hardest thing because coaches always say, "Can you be playing next week?" Well, no. If I show you this data, mm -hmm. then you know, understand it better, and I think they buy into it a little bit more. So, um, yeah, most definitely. Very exciting. Yeah, now that's a great bit of advice, and we'll put a link to that. Um, and I guess there's videos and things and people can learn from watching videos and how to use them and how to tweak them and stuff. So that's, 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 that's great. Exactly, that's exactly how I learned. I bought the device. It was recommended by a colleague, went and give everything. All I did was I contacted um, the, the guy I spoke to in the expo and I just said, I want um, your protocols that I can have for each of these and so forth. Cause I didn't have one for the neck mm -hmm. and they sent it to me specifically and they said, Oh, we are updating it. There we go. So, yeah, that's absolutely really cool. fantastic on there. That's exciting to know. I wonder if they're going to be, I can find out actually if they're going to be, I'll put it in the show notes if they're going to be at Therapy Expo this year as well, because mm. that'd be mm. interesting to contact them. It's nice to hear that they're so forth giving as well with information yeah. and that. One thing you said that I want to pick up on and reiterate is how you are producing this data, but you're comparing your player with themselves mm. as opposed to a set of defined norms yeah. which are in some kind of program or something that's that's you've you've mentioned that and it's kind of off the cuff like that's obviously what we've got to do but how much variability is there then how much do you expect between different players which which means that you shouldn't be comparing everybody with one norm the thing is that again that comes down to if you was to say i've got a normative data for a certain specific playing position um, anthropometric aspects of players are completely different. So if you look mm -hmm. at body fat, there is a variance of, of element between or height and weight and, and so forth. And it's the same, for instance, necks. If I look at, I, I measure necks in terms of length and circumference. It doesn't mm -hmm. really show you a lot because everybody's different. Again, the, it, you're looking in terms of ratio to that person. So for instance, many years ago, I worked with a, a scrum half um, in a high performance unit in Leeds. And this scrum half, I think, weighed 78 kilos, could bench press 140 kilos. So when you look at a power to weight ratio, that was amazing. But mm -hmm. his colleague, who was the same position, could only lift 85 kilos. 
So if I was to look at strength normative data, this person was a freak. But he's gone on to international sport and absolutely fantastic representative of the country. What we're looking at is your the, the idea of a baseline. If that person's had no neck issues and, and so forth previously and you know their medical screen, you know that's their current base that you're comparing it against of where they will return to. Now, that could then turn around and say, okay, I'm going to implement a next strength training program. We've got where you've started and where you've improved. And if you look at the research, it's six weeks, 12 weeks, 18 weeks. And they say, these people have improved by this amount of percentage. You've got strength in this region and so forth. So you're then saying, well, who am I comparing against? If I was to compare a novice person against people that was, I don't know. So a lot of it's university students because that's a convenient sample. And they'll turn around and go, okay, so there's 200 students. We've made this norm of these 200 people, so we're going to give you that. Compare it against age-grade, like-for-like sort of process, males, females, age, so forth. And that's where they're then utilizing that. Well, are we closer to that person should be because this person doesn't do neck training? They've got a baseline here. So uh, the the issue, what you look at is a lot of the research will talk about premiership players this that and the other and there was a a great process where many many years ago i was talking to a personal trainer and it blew my mind this sort of process probably not a personal trainer anymore but the way that they used to motivate people was by getting the flex magazine cut out one of the bodybuilders and put their client's face on that flex magazine and put it on the fridge and say that's your motivation that's unrealistic so don't matter how much we train if that person is not going to put all their effort in daily they're never going to be to the same capacity as that premiership player. So don't compare yourself, compare yourself what you're closest towards. And that's where this normative data, Wolverhampton's got a great project at the minute where they're, um, they're doing all the GB and English um, judo athletes and looking at neck profiles. Cause again, it's not there at the minute. So a couple of my colleagues are doing that. I'm not involved in that one. I ain't got enough time, but the, uh, the basically the, the comparing all of these elite to give benchmark normative data for the amount of people because it's missing. So then in the future, you've got that data. Excellent. That's really interesting to hear that because there's a lot of the message, which the kind of modern contemporary message in presentations is, you know, asymmetry is normal. You shouldn't be comparing it one person with another person necessarily because there's anatomical differences in the bones, in the past history and everything. But there's a little bit of a gap in, okay, well, I shouldn't be doing that, but what should I be doing then? And the answer is what you just said, just compare that person with themselves, get some baseline when they're asymptomatic, when they're healthy. I try and do it with gait analysis. On my gait analysis course, I'm saying we should be doing more gait analysis. Mm. We should be calling runners and going, I know you're not injured, but just come in. I want to get some videos of you happy and running. Because when, when they're injured, you do it's come too in late, when you're injured, it? I've yeah, got something to compare it. you to, you know? Yeah. And that's and it's the same as what you've been saying. So it's and also without making it sad, it's not all about the money. You've said it's all about not about yeah. the money. But if you've got a business model where you're only seeing injured patients, plus you're using a scheme which isn't really gonna help a lot of them, maybe 50% of them will get better, and that might not even be because of you. If you can start educating clients to come in when they're not injured, so you mm. can just do a little screening on them, it could be once a month or something, just to get that baseline. Yeah. You're getting money suddenly for seeing healthy people instead of just waiting for them to be injured, you know, where they're much I, more desperate. I, yeah, great I always say to them, you go and pay a personal trainer to develop. I'm part of your recovery process of your development. So use it proactively rather than reactively. And mm-hmm. I'll, pro- I'll probably say, um, 
good 50% of my clientele would be people that go, oh, I need to see Keith every six weeks. There's nothing wrong with me today because as long as you're doing your subjective, how are you feeling? Since we, oh, I'm nothing. I just thought I'd come and see you. No, that's fine. Perfect. You feel even better as you come through. Um, but again, it's it's. I saw a play the other day and it's about the empowerment and the education. So I use Rehab My Patient. It's an absolutely fantastic software. And as soon as I've seen people, I will talk about through the through the education of the exercises, send them off. And we talk about that as I've gone through because it's that empowerment. And then they know that I'm actually there for their welfare, not for their pocket money. And mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, they can ask me a question whenever they want to. And I say, you're not burdening me by sending me a text message and asking me and so forth. Um, and it is, it's getting you as part of their quality of life process. And I know, I'm not sounding big-headed or anything because I'm an evidence-based practitioner. I Before I see a client, I always look into the best sort of treatment processes, best rehabilitation exercises. So once they've gone, they, they heal and they disappear. And then they come back to go, well, I don't want to experience that again. I know what the pain was like. So I'm just, do you mind if I come and see? Of course mm-hmm. I don't mind. And you've then got them in and they'll tell your friends and, and so forth and so forth. Um yeah, again, this is where the neck things come in, and I've got one of my colleagues. I'll uh, I'll I'll just share my screen, and yes, this is yes. a, this is a, a sort of thing from my my colleague. Um, she's absolutely fantastic at graphics, but she uh, she through this discussion, I'll, I'll uh, see where this go on that one. So through this 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 graphic, there's a um, is it coming up on the screen? It's not coming up yet. So stop sharing. Okay, okay, let's bring it up and see what comes up. Here we go. Three, we go. two, one, we're going. So there's an absolute fantastic graphic on the side there. If you can just make that big so people can <laughs> see it. Now, obviously, I'm my future is going to be Dr. Neck because I'm a neck doctorate <laughs> specialist. And she drew this. And I, I was like, why have you done that? She went, because that's your crom that you use. You use your neck assessment a lot. But you're a, you're, you're a superhero because people come to see you in pain and they leave knowledgeable about how they can sort themselves out you don't make them passive you get them working and doing the activities and i said that's really what being a therapist is about and that's my color scheme of my business is black and black and red because the original one came out in yellow and yellow and uh, blue and i look like banana man so, uh, <laughs> <You don't laughs> I like, that, yeah. so i was like well yeah okay if i can have that figure that'd be absolutely brilliant but uh i don't think i was born that size let alone anything else i was gonna say they've changed the position on the rugby pitch a little bit but that's fine it's but it's the symbol it's the cape yeah if you listen to the podcast then basically you've just missed keith burnett in kind of spandex tights so yeah it, if you picture superman but with dr neck across <laughs> or superman with a beard um but yeah and that just come down it, it put into my mindset how people come back to me and I, mm-hmm. for two years i left um leicestershire area i moved over to wolverhampton and as soon as i came back it was like we're so happy that you're back and you're back working again and it just makes you think why what do i do mm-hmm. and i'm no different from any therapist that's here today all i do is basically put the client first everything is client focus care patient focus client focus athlete focus so everything i do in terms of rehab my subjective has developed really really strong to find out everything about the player and the great thing that um i've learned over time from looking at industry professionals over at different different views of things is does the rehabilitation fail the person or does the person fail the rehabilitation and you you may be providing things that are too contextual or you provided too much for them so um basics 
absolute basics as we're looking for. But then it's saying, we'll now progress, we'll move on. Um, yeah, and I think that's just the, the sort of process of me, really. I was gonna. That's good segue because I'm gonna ask you. Let's have a little talk about some rehabilitation rehabilitation exercises because we see an awful lot again on on YouTube and people in neck braces and people working against each other. Some there's lots of devices which you can buy, you know, which may be useful or not. What are some of your key exercises which you might involve in a kind of a ladder of rehab? So I'll just uh, I'll share my screen again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Come back off that one and say I put a little presentation together because you never know if. Uh, if it's needed and uh, people are sick of looking at me. I will bring that up now. Okay. Describe to our listeners what we've got on the screen there. Okay. So what we've got, we're looking at isometric strength development. So the key underpinning for any injury or um, neck development comes from your isometrics and no movement application of force. So on here, we've got three illustrations used from the rehab, my patient um, software, and we've got our basic hand against the head process so you apply force into your hand and you resist that with your head placing forward and you use that in all of the different dimensions of movement so flexion hand at the front pushing forward lateral flexion you could put it to the side again and to the posterior for your extension and you can put it onto the right chin or left chin to do an an isometric uh, rotation so that's the basic and what the activate program came from the rfu is to say well we'll bring this in as a neck strength development process. Now, if you was then in a gym and you wanted to go into a bit further forward, you've got what they call a goofball or your your Swiss balls, you can then apply pressure in and that'll give you a little bit of active pressure back. So it's more of a dynamic isometric, whereas you're working against the um, application. Now, one thing you've got to look at in terms of here is understanding the musculature that you want to develop. And when you're screening those people um, you're going to be working with, You're then looking for muscle um, dysfunction or you're looking for weakness and you can then develop your specific element on isometric. And that would be your introduction element on there. To then progress it, you can use a TheraBand, um, a light TheraBand to then progress as you go through the colors. Now, the reason why this would be is the colors can then introduce more resistance as you progress. So your hand resistance creates an issue where you would come to a certain point and you can't progressively overload. So you work with push yourself and then you stop it there. The goofball exactly the same. Whereas as you then work with an, um, a band, you're then working to a certain point where you're developing and then you're, um, then you're developing um, sort of more overload as you go through. And that would be the basics. So as we're, as we're going through that process, um, Again, the movement you're trying to develop, as we as we can see here, um, would be your thera, uh, TheraBand. And that's the, the cheapest, most effective um, isometric resistance because you're then being able to provide development of the neck as you would overload any other muscle. Whereas the other two really give you a static process. And that's one of my um, real critiques about the Activate is they say do one set of 15 seconds on each movement but then there's no development. So you, if you used to do a six-week program, you're going to plateau and not get anywhere. Mm-hmm. Same with the goofball. That's good for early intervention, acute, subacute programming. But if you wanted to do for muscle development, you really want to then be looking at your basics and understanding using the things from TheraBand or any other reputable uh, resistance band company 
uh, you can then utilize um, the different colors to progress. Now, again, this is where you would then use your handheld dynamometer to assess the progression. So it's either from um, strength improvement back to normal or actually improvement from normal. If you're looking from that process, so your baseline is used for where you want to develop from or where you want to return back to if it was an injury. So what you can then do is then progress from here. And what you said, Matt, in terms of all these different um, devices, you could also get a resistance band and a head cradle. So a head cradle, mm-hmm. £15, pound, and then they can change the different resistance bands um, that link on and hook on and so forth. So there's yeah. different processes um, that you can utilize on there. Fantastic. For those of you listening to the podcast, then if you're wondering if it's not quite clear what we're talking about, then just pop along to YouTube and you'll see um, a slide there with the images on there. Um, yeah, because a lot of the stuff that's sold out there is a, is one of these kind of exercises you're showing, but to make it a little bit more practical, easy to put on, maybe the client do themselves, like you say, with the harness involved. Yep. But yep. the essential thing yep. is the basics, isn't it? It hasn't got to be that complicated. You're stopping yourself from moving. It's an isometric contraction. But yeah. the interesting thing you said was to show that progression, that's, again, when your 250, 60 pounds comes into play yeah. and you can actually quantify it and prove to the I've, coach. If if you're wanting to then introduce this concept, obviously, like the RFU have said, there isn't a Keith in every club. So we need to bring in some sort of intervention. And that's where the hand to hold would be a good idea. Mm-hmm. What you've then got to look at is if you are looking at it from a muscular development aspects or muscle endurance for muscle strength there's got to be progressive overload for it to be worthwhile else it'll plateau and decrease we know that from muscle development whether it's injury or or from uh, training so by utilizing the um the band the only time some people don't like the band is the rotational aspect now a lot of the research turns around and this is where it comes down to and i'll just i'll just talk about this i'll put it on a slide on this aspect Mm-hmm. Um, on this slide, basically, it says in order to be able to look at neck injury rehabilitation, your anatomical knowledge needs to be there. So you need to be looking at the structures of the anatomy. What is it that's damaged? So if, for instance, you're looking at the musculature, you need to know what musculature does what. Mm-hmm. So from this perspective, if I was to then say, well, if I look at the front and I've got my sternocleidomastoid muscles and I've got a bilateral, so two sided that create flexion, then we can then, as I'm coming into flexion, I'm then assessing the strength of both of them collectively and my deep flexors that put my head into flexion. On the other hand, if I want to go to lateral flexion, that's then going to be the sternocleidomastoid on that ipsilateral side, so the side I'm going into, and also the scalenes will help to control that movement as well. So that's a, a, a unilateral process that I'm looking at the strength measurement. They're also the same muscles that create rotation. So a lot of the research out there says all we're going to do is do flexion extension and lateral flexion because we don't need to actually assess rotation. But when you're thinking about uh, movement, for instance, if you're looking at a a sports skill and there is head rotation, for instance, header in a football or, or any movement, tackling and so forth, you need to be training that rotation, not just in a side movement. Else, it's like running a straight line. You're only going to train and be good at running a straight line. So you've got to understand really what the structures are and what's injured, knowing where the locations are, and then understanding how is it presented. So what is normal for that person? So if you've got something that's hypertonic and you've got spasm in the muscle, well, it may be a neurological issue or it may be a a strain of the muscle that's causing that issue. 
and then looking at the function. So if I talk about function and I say my sternocleidomastoid on the right side, its role is to then um, laterally flex my head to the right. If I've got muscle guarding due to tension on my contralateral side or my left side, I then know my function on my left side is causing the problem and not being able to turn my head or bend my head to the left, uh, right hand side. Or from my inhibit, inhibit, inhibited process, my muscle on my right side that's contracting may be strained. And because it's spasming, it doesn't work. So I can't actually do that movement. So you've got to be able to see, well, actually, what's causing the movement and what's not allowing the movement. And that gives you that sort of process. So really, when I when I talk about your subjective objective is understanding the process of, well, how are we testing and what do we know the outcome of the test before we even go into any training or any rehab? We need to understand our knowledge of anatomy and we need to know our subjective objective because that will give you a good detailed process of what you need to return or what you need to train to get that person back to normal again and this is really encouraging because we've had a few times on the show people i mean you've done it yourself you said there's a bit of misinformation out there or a lack of information and a lot of the time the first reaction of therapists is so everything i've done is wrong or, or everything all the courses i've paid for are rubbish and that's not what we're saying at all so those certification diplomas you've done where you've been learning your origin insertion and what they do and the eccentric and concentric are still valid yeah. It's just you're changing, you know, what you're going to give the person to do and how you're measuring them. So it's all yeah. good. Excellent. We're getting close to nine o'clock, Keith. Is this is this a slide from Therapy Expo 2023 or is this an old one? That... Oh, this is one I did today. I, bu- I got bored. <laughs> I, just, I, I will put these slides up, folks. So if anybody, if I can put a link or something or share it, it can be downloaded. More than happy because I've, I've basically talked about the sets and reps and basically the take-home message because – Matt, you asked me to talk about sets and reps from mm. this process. My take-home message is you can look at so many different papers and they give you so much different information. It's got to be specific to the person's capability psychologically and physically. So if they're not – one thing you will find, guys, and there's a lot of research out there, that if you introduce isometric training of the neck, they're going to be very sore the next few days. They'll get DOMS because you're introducing fine motor skills in a muscle that's not used to working. So if you ever think about coming back to the gym in January and you're in pain for a couple of days, you are going to get that from the neck training process. But it's, again, that introduced um, understanding from there. So you may just introduce one set of one uh, one set of a couple of reps, time factor, and then you play with the time like you would do any sets and reps with a normal musculature. What I do do, though, is I will talk to the client a couple of days afterwards or the player afterwards. How are you feeling? If they're really sore after the second or third session, they've done too much. You need to reel it back in again. And you need to be really um, you need to be really proactive and pragmatic around your dynamic uh, prescription. So there's no such thing as an off the shelf. You cannot do this. You've got to be prescribing every single player, every single person specific to their strength measurement or specific to their capability. So please don't just put big harnesses with massive plates on and start asking them to do extension work when they can't even do that with the hand. It's it's really about not teaching you to suck eggs here. What I'm asking you to do is just think about what can my client do in front of me and how can I gradually progress that to make them buy into it. You'll all know this. If somebody gets pain from your training, you'll lose them. They'll, they'll not want to relate to your good training aspect to go, actually, this is beneficial for me. They're going to see the detriment of it. So just slowly progress into that. 
Excellent. Wise words. And we will make sure that, yeah, if Keith, if you send me a few PDFs, not the whole PowerPoint, they don't deserve that. But if you can send me a few of the slides which have been on the show tonight, we'll make sure that they go into the STA uh, members um, folders so they can contact, they'll go into the rugby folder and they can have a little look at that. Yet another reason, guys, to join the Sports Therapy Association. It'll be cheaper than you can possibly imagine. But yeah, another reason. Um Therapy Expo this year, I mean, everything you're talking about, I'm sure will entice people to come and see you. You were very popular last year, hugely popular, really charismatic individual with loads of great information. Any idea what you're talking on this year? Is it too early to say? I'm talking about um, exercise prescription in good detail, (laughs) in better detail. So it's basically evidence-informed prescription, like what we've looked at here. So if I say to the, the audience, obviously, as a university lecturer and I look at research, it took me about 15, 20 minutes to put my slides together. There's 11. So I'll, I'll pick out bits from there. But one thing you'll find it, it, it is more detailed, um, but more take home for things that you can do yourself and, and take away with your clients. Um, yeah. Orientate around that, really. Fantastic. And Keith's going to be, for those of you who are coming to Therapy Expo, Keith's going to be in the STA Theatre on day two, which is Thursday, November the 23rd. I think I said it wrong earlier on. This year it's the 20th. I've done this for like 10 years. Every date is different. But this year in 2023, it's November the 22nd, and then which is a Wednesday, and then Thursday, November the 23rd. Um, and Keith's going to be with us at 10 o'clock on day two. So that's definitely going to be one to put in your diary if you're coming along to Therapy Expo day two at 10 o'clock if of course it affects your business and this we're talking about some of your target audience um, if not find something else but if you're looking into exercise prescription and not just rugby i don't think i think a lot of the things you're saying keith can be applied to any sport and any joint to tell you the truth i mean you know we're just focusing on yeah. the people who you look after so I, th- I think with the natural transition of my my journey of education is i went in with rugby because i was rugby mm-hmm. and actually so many people even office workers have looked at, well, actually, I'm getting pain in my shoulders and neck. And it's the same prescription. It's the, the same dynamics, just use it in different context. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. I picked up on you talking about when you're warning people, you know, look at the individual in front of you, you mentioned the psychology, because I'm not sure so much with rugby players. It might be the opposite, but with with less kind of athletic performance-driven people, kinesphobia and the fear of actually moving may be a factor as well. So you might not be actually you're doing the strength test, but the the, the in- inhibition behind it might be a fear as opposed to an actual physical weakness. That's something I guess you need to keep your eyes open for. I was going to say because what I, o- I already do is I video record while I'm doing the test. Mm. Because as I'm focusing, if it's myself or if there's somebody working with me, I won't video record it. But what I do is I look at the face because I want to know actually, like you say, you can't hide pain that well. And you can then see, well, there is a avoidance. Are are they apprehensive before they're doing stuff? And it's getting into the psyche of the person and breaking down those barriers. Because this, this is a thing when I came into the club I've just started at. There was like, we've never seen anybody do what you do. And we're a bit, we're not too sure. And as soon as you then buying into them and you're getting into the psyche of them you open up to them they open up to you you've got that trust element and i think that's where people then start being honest with you and and you can work out who is the shirker in a sense of that don't like going out training and wants to be in the nice warm changing room or the person that is actually well i don't really want to share my burden with you i'm going to keep it to myself and it's opening up that sort of process with them amazing 
Great. Um, Keith, thank you so much for your time. Amazing educator, therapist, so much information. And it's so kind of you to share this. And it's, and it's lovely to hear you talking about how you want to work the community and make sure that all the stuff you're learning isn't just held in the premiership and the elites. It's actually on a community level as well. So kudos to you, sir. Thank you so much. Um, if people want to follow you, Twitter, you are KJB Sport Therapy. Is that correct? That's it. Yep. And then Instagram um i think you're active now and again it might be a few motorbikes and kind of like stuff on there as well but <laughs> uh, that's that's not that's something that's happened because my fa- personal facebook account linked into instagram and i didn't realize that so i have to take those away yeah <laughs> oh hey it's great it shows the personal side of you as well it's wonderful <laughs> so on instagram you've got the kjb sports therapy and there's an s in that one um yeah I recommend you follow both of those and obviously like i say uh therapy expo is upon us before you know it we're already well i if you can call it summer but already through august in the uk so then we've got yeah. september october and november 22nd 23rd like i say so hopefully some of you listening will uh, catch up with us all there and where keith will be talking in like i say thursday in the sta theater and wednesday you in in wednesday as well? still confirming that date still confirming the, that date. Uh, the main one yep right amazing um and and hopefully close to the time we will have speakers in the lead up to therapy expo so keith if you're free and we, we can do another wednesday if you're working tuesdays maybe we'll catch up a little bit close to the time as well so people know about what you're up to right people thank you very much for joining us in the live lounge thank you i can see on the screen now loads of names chrissy tracy and maddie and lynn and nawoo 2002 and um, thank you for letting us know the slight technical hitch we had earlier on appreciate that um, if you listen to the podcast and you do want to join us live to ask questions to the guests or just to hang out and, and kind of network with fellow soft tissue therapists, then you just need to come along to the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel. Next week, we are back on a Tuesday. So it'll be August the 22nd. And my guest, uh, we're going to turn to tennis from rugby because my guest is going to be sports therapist, lecturer and author Steve Bedford, who recently completed his 24th year working at the Wimbledon Tennis Championships. And he's also worked at all the 12 ATP World Tour finals at the O2 in London, and a lot of other experience and been a couple of books on it. So particularly, again, not just only tennis enthusiasts, but if you're into tennis and you're seeing people who play tennis, then again, a fantastic guest is going to give you a wealth of information next week if you want to join us live for that one. But for now, Keith, don't press the button yet because I'm going to close the live lounge, but I'll just have a minute to say thank you to you again. Uh, people in the live lounge, thanks again for joining us. I'll let Chrissy have the final comment on the screen here. Chrissy Knowles says thanks and an awesome web thing. My first one. Well, Chrissy, that's what we do it for. We've got another person and we're sharing the good word of our experts like Keith Burnett. Thanks, people. Take care of each other. And hopefully we'll see some of you live next Tuesday, August 22nd at 8 o'clock. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy.